This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Monday, December 20th, 2010. I'm Caleb Brown. There's a whole lot of legislating going on at the end of 2010, but where are the trade agreements? And will the Tea Partiers that are coming to populate new seats in Congress be more or less enthusiastic about free trade? Dan Griswold, director of the Cato Institute Center for Trade Policy Studies and author of the book Mad About Trade, comments. The president seems to have at least rediscovered trade in the second year of his presidency, 2010. In the State of the Union, he announced something called the National Export Initiative uh, with the goal, uh, overambitious goal, I think, of doubling exports uh, over the next five years. But uh, nonetheless, it's uh, on behalf of promoting trade. And then just recently, we've had, uh, it's really something of a breakthrough. Uh, We have three trade agreements that were signed in the Bush administration, free trade agreements with Korea, Colombia, and Panama. And they have just languished since then, really ever since the Democrats took over Congress. uh, They're quite beholden to organized labor on trade and had no interest in these agreements. And President Obama hasn't had uh, much to say about them. But uh, at the G20 meeting in June in Canada, he, he pledged to the Korean president, uh, President Lee, that uh, he would work with the, the Koreans to make some tweaks to the agreement so that he could submit it to Congress. Well, well, they've made the tweaks, uh, particularly having to do with automobiles. Uh, you know, Korea uh, Korea is a great market for the United States. They are our number seven export market. So this is a commercially significant deal. Uh, but of course, they produce some very good cars that Americans want to buy. Uh, but the Koreans uh, aren't that big of a market for old pickup trucks and SUVs and minivans, so we don't sell very many over there. And they do have some trade restrictions, not just tariffs, but some regulatory barriers. Well, President Obama extracted from the Koreans a couple of concessions. One is to, to reduce some of their regulations so that we can sell more cars, uh, mileage standards, Uh, pollution standards, and it basically guarantees, uh, uh, allows our automakers to import more cars there that meet U.S. standards, but not necessarily Korean standards. The other part of the concession, which uh, I think is a big negative, is uh, it delays the phasing out of U.S. tariffs on imported cars and light trucks from Korea. We currently impose a 25% tariff on light trucks a 2.5% tariff on cars. The original agreement was going to phase them both out in five years. Uh, Instead, uh, the light truck tariff in 10 years, but instead they're going to keep those tariffs in place uh, for several years and then drop them at the end. So we're going to pay higher prices for Korean imported vehicles. Uh, How this is going to help us sell one more vehicle in Korea, I don't know. But the bottom line is, It's got the support now of the Detroit Three Automakers. The United Auto Workers Union supports the Korea free trade deal. Sander Levin, uh, outgoing chairman of the Ways and Means Committee and from Michigan, Democrat, he supports it. So the bottom line is uh, I think the Korea agreement is going to be submitted and passed uh, by the new Congress. The question is what's going to happen to Colombia and Panama? So what is going to happen to (laughs) Colombia and Panama? Uh, we don't know, and that's a big question. Co- commercially, they're not as significant as the Korea deal. The Korea deal is the biggest one since NAFTA. Uh, but they're both uh, commercially significant in their own way, and, and they're significant in terms of uh, foreign policy. In fact, all three of these are. Korea's, uh, you know, facing uh, crazy North Korea and uh, in a strategic neighborhood. Uh, but look at where Colombia is. Uh, so Hugo Chavez is the next-door neighbor. Ecuador. 
Uh, and Colombia has been not just a good friend of the United States, but probably our most reliable ally in that region. They're a robust democracy. They just elected a new president who uh, is pro-American, uh, is reaching out to broad sectors of the society. The Colombia Agreement is held up for one reason. Uh, they've had a, a, a period of violence there. They not, not only have a high kind of crime rate in society, but they've been fighting a vicious uh, left-wing insurgency known as the FARC. And some organized labor people have been caught up in this violence. Uh, and, and what that has done is that organized labor in the United States, kind of out of, a, I think, a, a false sense of solidarity uh, with organized labor down in Colombia, have opposed this agreement uh, vis viscerally. Um, we need to get it passed. They say that we need to, uh, Colombia needs to reduce uh, violence in their society, especially against uh, people belonging to labor unions. Well, they've made dramatic progress uh, in the last 10 years. The murder rate has gone down by 40 percent. Violence against union members is down by 80 percent. Uh, our government keeps moving the goalpost. Uh, that, this agreement really needs to be passed. And then finally, the Panama Agreement, uh, even smaller commercially, although uh, Panama is undergoing uh, the world's, I think, pretty much the world's largest public works project right now, expanding the canal. Uh, and part of this agreement with Panama, this free trade agreement, would give U.S. companies uh, a better shot at getting contracts uh, for the canal. And it's a perfectly defensible commercial uh, project, and U.S. companies are very competitive. Uh, so there's an agreement we need to pass, too. But whether the Republicans, uh, uh, Kevin Brady, a Republican of Texas, who's the incoming chairman of the uh, Trade Subcommittee in Ways and Means, he has said he wants to see all three agreements passed, and he would like to see them bundled, not necessarily as one um, package, but at least passed serially with the understanding that if Congress is going to take up Korea, it's going to take up uh, Colombia and Panama too. The administration's kind of uh, ambivalent about that strategy because they feel more strongly about Korea than the others. People who support the Korea agreement don't want to see it uh, not passed because of it being tied to Colombia and uh, Panama. But on the other hand, uh, we don't want to just uh, throw those two perfectly fine agreements into the ditch uh, in a rush to get this other one passed. So th that, those are going to be the top of the trade agenda going into the new Congress. Speaking of the new Congress, there will be a lot of Tea Partiers uh, in Congress in 2011. What do they bring to the table in terms of, of trade or uh, their general opinions about trade? The incoming Tea Party people, and they're a, they're a big segment of the incoming 85 uh, Republican uh, freshmen, it's a real unknown. You know, uh, these, these candidates for Congress uh, really don't have a voting record on trade. They maybe even had, haven't had to think much about trade. They're kind of a blank slate. Uh, polls show that among the Tea Party rank and file, the people who show up at the events and identify themselves as Tea Partiers, they're actually kind of skeptical of trade, a little more skeptical of trade agreements than the population in general. The candidates themselves, while they're a blank slate in terms of their voting record, uh, people have looked at their websites. I've talked to people who've surveyed uh, websites and what they said during the campaign. They tend to be a little more trade-friendly. Uh, in fact, there's a one Tea Party member who's just been elected from Illinois named uh, Bobby Schilling. He beat an incumbent named Phil Hare, who was strongly against trade. Uh, but Bobby Schilling embraced trade. 
John Deere and uh, Caterpillar are big employers in that part of the country, uh, so he may be a leader. And also, let's not forget, of course, the Tea Party people are going to vote for the Republican leadership in the caucus, and uh, that is going to bring a dramatic change. Uh, the biggest change on trade is going to be the House leadership. The Democratic leadership in the House, starting with Nancy Pelosi, uh, was strongly against trade, really did, kind of doing the bidding of organized labor. The incoming Republican leaders, uh, you, you, whatever criticisms you might have of, of John Boehner and Eric Cantor and David Camp, the new chairman of the Ways and Means Committee, they do have very good records on trade, supporting trade agreements. So I think the, the paralysis that we've had on trade policy the last four years is giving way to what could be a fruitful, uh, if, if modest, uh, progress on trade liberalization, uh, at least in the next couple of years. Dan Griswold is director of the Cato Institute Center for Trade Policy Studies and author of the book, Mad About Trade. You can read more of his work at Cato.org.